Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Teresa Oaxaca, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Hi, Jeff. Nice to see you again. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome to see you. So we just came back from the Porch Society of America, spent some time together, had some lunch together, and that was a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, this is super cool to have the opportunity to talk to you again. Um, so I've got tons of questions. I've never actually seen the inside of your studio, which is kind of cool. Well, this is your parlor, you said. So... Well, tell me about that. So you have your paintings all over the house, it looks like, because I see a painting off to your right. So do you do you do that? Do you decorate your home with your paintings? Yeah, it's almost a storage method too, but the finished paintings are all over the place. They're all subject to sell, so they come and go. Right. And this is also where I have clients in. So I just had a client coming to pick something up right before this really it's nice to have a room that's clean that doesn't have any art supplies like like wet wet paintings or anything and, and like no lights or anything just art kind of looks like a home setting so it's similar to what galleries do where they have a viewing room where they isolate a piece and they were maybe about to make a sale and it's like you you show the piece on the wall by itself without too many distractions so do you treat your house then kind of like a gallery i mean do you sell work a lot on your own in that way yeah, I do. And and I'm also trying to build like a YouTube channel where I can display the work. So I'll do some filming in here. Oh, and that's awesome. Okay. I just like to live with the art as well. So right. it's, it's nice to have it up. Right. So when you live with the art, do you find that you take it down, rework it, or once it's up, it's up and ready for sale? Um, once it's framed and varnished, I'm not going to take it down and rework it. I'd You're not. Start a new one. Okay. So tell me about the frames. So your paintings have some unbelievably unique frames. Um, is that something oh. you have made somewhere or do you do that yourself? I do it myself. I do it with my father. I do the designs and he does the carpentry and then I paint it. Oh, no kidding. So your dad helps yeah. you out. That's family mm -hmm. business. That's really cool. Okay, so yeah, I just finished one frame. It it they they drive me nuts. I mean, they take as long sometimes as a small painting to make. Really? So I'm, yeah, I mostly do them on commission, or I do them just for myself, and they're hanging in the house as decoration. So this room has mostly self-made frames, but they're they're a pain. They're a lot of work, so I don't make like a whole bunch of them. Right. What do you mean you don't make a whole bunch of them? You don't make them in mass, or you don't, or you just make them for select paintings. There's yeah, for select paintings, not all paintings fit those frames. They're quite unique, which is yeah. why I created them because I do like the gold frames and, and you know, the black ones with the patina and then the, the tarnished metal rims, but they don't fit all my works. So I decided to make some of my own. frames. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So you mentioned your dad helps you out. So tell me a little bit about your background and your family, where were you raised? Um, and how were you raised? Tell me a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't have too many artists in my immediate past. 
But apparently, like, my great-grandfather or, like, going great-great-great back, there were some artists who did church paintings in Mexico City and in Slovenia. So on my mom's side, they, they come from Slovenia, and my dad's side comes from Mexico. So there's some artists way back, but not quite within living memory. And I took up art, and I'm just really really excited with art i guess but i don't i don't know how much of it has to do with my background but um, as a child did you do it all growing up or, i mean were you obsessed with it or is it something you got into later in life i got into it very early so i i did it as a way to play i used to make my own toys with clay and <laughs> then i would draw pictures to amuse myself and really? then i got into art classes when i was young because my mom and dad put me in some um, but there wasn't the kind of like structured learning um so it ended up with like most of the classes were kind of like daycare, you know, so I had to go end up in adult classes like as early as the age of like nine or seven because it was either like daycare classes or like real actual art lessons with figure models and clay, you know, and easels. So I was in the adult classes from a young age. You're kidding me. And this so I got is... a good sense of like... uh you know, when they say that kids are too young to focus, I just don't believe I was able to focus really well, seven, just doing art all the time. So that was nice. Um, but the the skill, like they weren't ateliers, so I had to wait till I was 17 to go to Italy and study at an atelier. Okay. But did you find it a good education nonetheless? Obviously, well, not obviously, but it may not have been as good as an atelier, but was it helpful at all? Oh, very. It was very inspiring. And, you know, I was in workshops and I was in like kind of like what you call like Sunday painters. So I was with a lot of people who weren't full time artists and they were doing art later. And so I used to think that was a bad thing. But actually, I realized it's a good thing because they brought uh, a level of maturity and balance to art making that a lot of like younger professionals don't always have. They're a little obsessed with art and forget to eat or like do other things. <laughs> so right. it, it was a good balance, like to see people healthily engaging in art. Um, and uh, like they had a lot of respect for professional artists, for the teachers who would come in, like they really wanted to study, you know, they would buy the teacher's works sometimes, like they were the perfect kind of students. They weren't ungrateful and then, but they weren't also like uh, unduly um, workaholics. Right. So I want to talk about that a little bit later about that balance, but we'll get back to that because I don't want to get off of this topic of your past. But um, so as a child, you went to these classes, these were adult classes, but not quite as rigorous. Correct me if that's a, not an appropriate term, but as rigorous as your later education from 17 on. Um, so tell me about your education from that point. I mean, I know a little bit about it, but tell me as though I don't know anything about it. So from, from art school onward, 17 yeah. onward. Yeah. So I went to two different academies in Italy, in Florence, and there was, this was like 2005. So it was just before iPhones and everyone having a personal computer kind of broke out. So mm -hmm. it was kind of like living in the past because it was a medieval center of the town with Renaissance and Baroque, like kind of resonating outwards modern being like so far out we didn't really see the modern buildings um unless you had a car i didn't have a car so i just had a bike and, and i walked around by foot 
like barely rode the bus, mostly just bikes, you know, so I was kind of in the center of Florence and there's just museums and churches everywhere and, and little art schools peppered everywhere. Um, everyone trying to do what they saw as pursuing the old masters in their footsteps through re representational painting from life, not from photos. And uh, there were steps, you know, like you had to draw really well. You had to understand value before you could use color. And when you did use color, you had to have a limited palette and there had to be like you know, good knowledge of proportions and balance and rhythm and um, just a respect for the models you were painting, like that, that kind of thing. So that was sort of the way I was studying. And then towards, towards the end of the five years, I, I still didn't have like the iPhone. And, and the only reason I'm mentioning that is like, you know, now it's so different because you can just get on the computer or your phone and look at like a thousand works of art, mm -hmm. five minutes, you know? So we didn't have that barrage of influences. So I definitely was uh, a little more like secluded in old master painting from lifestyle. Now it's different. Now I've got the whole barrage of everything. Yeah. Uh, part of me is kind of glad I learned to, to paint before all that became a thing. Like maybe it was a slower way but it was kind of like a peaceful way of doing yeah. it, you know, like a slow, slow art. But how did you even find out about that in 2005? I mean, cause you didn't have, well, I guess, I mean, obviously we had the internet, but it wasn't like today where it seems like everyone in our field knows about these ateliers. Um, yeah. I personally don't think I learned about them until well after 2005. So how did you get, how were you fortunate enough to have heard about them and get yourself out there? I had a few teachers who hadn't gone to them, but they would mention them every once in a while. And there was in Philadelphia, the studio in Caminati with Nelson Shanks. And then I knew about the Jacob Collins School in New York. So I knew that there were like those two ateliers on the East Coast of the United States. And then I knew about there was some in Florence. So I kind of pieced together that the ones in Florence would be similar. Okay. And I uh, decided to go to Italy because I wanted to get out of the States and see some of the world. Yeah, And they, I also got on their website and saw some of the student work and it looked really good. Like it looked better than anything I saw being made in my immediate area. And uh, that doesn't surprise me because, you know, if you have five years to just learn to draw and paint, of course, you're going to be better than if you're taking like a little bit here, a little bit there, you know. So yeah. that, that was probably the biggest thing was I felt like I gave myself permission by deciding to put myself on the path to being a professional. Um, I gave myself permission to just draw and paint all the time. Did of course you, you're going to get better. Did you do any university study before that or just right, right to the ateliers? Yeah. Right from high school to the ateliers. I was kind of, uh, obsessed with reading art history. So the local libraries, I was just reading all the art history books I could get. And so I saw a thread that uh, particularly in the Renaissance, which is my favorite period, all the artists started when they were nine or 10. And after that, they were kind of old to be artists, you know? Isn't and I was like, crazy? oh my gosh. Yeah, I was like, I have to yeah. catch up, you know, like I'm old. <laughs> so I was, I, and I just kind of got the sense that like despite what a lot of the art history books were saying where they were just like, they were born that way. Um, mm. That I got the sense that maybe studying since you were like, a little child by the time you're 20 you're already like a master at drawing and right. then you can 
do more. So I was like, oh, there's something about this, like getting the fundamentals down. And uh, I would say that like photography and a lot of digital stuff is kind of, there are some artists that we probably both know who, who don't know how to draw that well, but they can, you know, um, trace photos and, and do all sorts of kind of things to kind of speed up that right. getting to a certain level and they'll win prizes. So like, I, I don't want to say like, you have to be old school and just program your brain to draw and paint from life and then you'll, you know, be able to do whatever you want. But that's how I approached it anyway. Why um, though? So, so you seem tolerant of that approach. Um, so what is it about this traditional approach of traditional drawing skills that appeals to you or appealed to you? Maybe it doesn't as much anymore. Oh, it still does. I mean, okay. just the ability to have an idea and then draw it and then like how it looks. That just seems mm -hmm. so magical. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you have to kind of like, you know, work it up a little bit. But like to me, it seems better to wait. Like it might take you 10 years to get good at drawing. But once you have it, you have it. And I will tell my students that I will say like, because I'll ask like, do you ever project things? And I'm like, look, the time it would take me to pull out a projector whatever, connect it up, line it up, trace, I would have already made the drawing and enjoyed it. And I would have just been frustrated, wrangling um, mechanical means, you know, uh, and then robbing myself of the joy of drawing and painting. Yeah. Um, so, so that's what I try to tell them. It's more about enjoyment. And, and I know that there's other things too, which I'm interested what you, what you think about that. But it just seems like people who can't draw, you can kind of tell there's a little bit of like a slide in the work. Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe, and it also, it also just looks like a photo. You, you can't really do anything else, but make it look like a photo. Yeah. I've seen people who can draw, draw, yeah. take shortcuts and well, I'm going to do quotes on that shortcuts. Um, um, and make it not look like a photo, but I, yeah, but it seems that that's the case if they haven't learned to draw. Um, you asked how I feel about it. I'll just keep it short because this is about you. But I just I I appreciate the fulfillment of doing things with your own hands and mind. That's what yeah. really appeals to me: the fulfillment yeah. of having done something difficult. Mm -hmm. So, but that's yeah. But again, like like you, that's just my own personal um, reasoning behind the way I the reason I do what I do. But so um, you asked about balance. Let's talk about that. Well, how do you? balance your life between painting personal life other hobbies and so on i'm trying to work on like uh organizing better so i feel like i've i've got to the point where i have a lot of art props and ideas and, and I'm getting like invited to teach and travel and you know do cool things so um Getting, getting to that point, I guess um, I had some extra time to like, you know, clean the house more or whatever, but now it's like, um, oh gosh, like it's, it's just minor things that are a problem now, like like having to remember to um, water the plants or like clean the house. I don't know, like I just have, um, I think that's a good balance though, like if that's the problem it, it, and it's kind of enjoyable to do those things, like the housekeeping things. So I have, uh, pretty healthy enjoyment for what I do with most things I would say. So I just try to be organized. And I think that sometimes with creative people that 
practical things are hard for them. So I know I was talking to a friend about this. She had a podcast about creativity. So she was trying to ask about creativity and where, how you get ideas or what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I never really have a problem with that. Um, it's almost always a problem, like getting rid of the obstacles to actually making a painting. So just, just mundane things, you know, and being practical. So I, I try to just work on that. Um, and that's quite nice when I start to learn how to do that better, I would say. Yeah. Um, what are some of those obstacles? Um, just, uh, I would say just things like making money and being organized. Right. Just, just really, really simple things like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just, uh, like reality, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's a nice thing to be like a full-time artist, but if you're always just like got your head in a book or you know, you're taking forever on one painting like that, that might not be a good um, survival strategy. So right, like, like making a organization a cool thing or, you know, making those things cool is, is a helpful thing, I think, hmm. for me. Yeah, I like how you put that. So that brings up a uh, question that I hadn't really thought about in advance. Um, and that is, how do you balance that? So you have to figure out how to make a living. And obviously, you've been doing this for a while. How long ha have you been doing this professionally? At least 10 years, right? Yeah, I, I pretty much paid my way through school with portrait commissions and art sales. So oh, been okay. So 13. professional since 2008. Oh, great. So 14 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in that 14 years, how have you balanced, you know, you mentioned that you can't take, well, there's times where paintings take so long that, it, that. Um, I'm totally paraphrasing what you'd said, so mm. correct it if I paraphrase incorrectly, but, um, you'd said that sometimes you have to balance how long you work on a painting with the fact of reality that you have to make a living and feed yourself. So how do you strike that balance? I'm not sure. Um, I'm, 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 I'm still like trying things out. Um, but it's difficult because. I mean, like right now we have rampant inflation. Um, so that's like nothing I can control. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously there's certain things you can do that, you know, will perhaps sell better uh, or, you know, certain activities that that'll make money like teaching or something. Um, but it feels like if you do too many of those easy things that you're not really an artist anymore, like you're just kind of making products or um, you're being a teacher, maybe, you know, so, so obviously I don't want to do that full time. Um, and then when you're making the art, art, sometimes, at least to me, it kind of feels like it's unquantifiable. So in, I got, I guess, unless you're like really lucky and you're able to sell really giant kind of artistic paintings, um, pretty soon after you create them, then you have to be a little bit more smart in how you balance um, I don't know. You'd probably be the better one to explain. <laughs> I, the I know I was asking you a lot of questions at the Portrait Society about this. So, <laughs> so, but I, I guess I just, I don't want to just be someone who, and, and like, there's nothing wrong with this, but I don't want to be someone who makes like three $400 animal portraits a day, 365 days a year. Oh like, gosh, I, that sounds awful. <laughs> I know I could probably make a good living, but I don't want to be that. And I don't want to rebrand right. and, and become that or, or whatever version of that, you know, like, 
um, wedding portraits or baby. I don't, I, I don't want to like have to niche down so much that I make the same thing over and over again. Um, that, that's not what I want to do. And so that apparently the further you get away from that, the harder it becomes to do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's what I've been told. I don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, what I could talk about this part for hours, but I'm going to, I want to, I want to move on and talk about some other things as well. But, um, what is your day to day like as a painter? Monday through mm. Friday. I mean, you don't have to go through like every detail, but just give me an idea of what your Monday through Friday is like as a painter. I mean, you mentioned that you teach. Obviously, you have to do some other things and, and live. Um, what does that look like? Um, so I mostly sort of work weekends. So I, I'll teach either online classes or in-person classes. I do maybe like one two-day or three-day workshop a month. So mm -hmm. those those are in-person and I try to do like stuff I can drive to, but sometimes I'll have to fly to another city or state. So that can, you know, that's why I space them out. Um, and then in summertime, I haven't for the last two years, but I used to go to Europe for three or four months and wow. travel around. Yeah, kind of do like extended vacation, research, teach a little, like, like a whole mix. But I haven't done that for the last two years. And then um, I've been kind of just work on whatever I want every other day that I'm not teaching or, or, you know, traveling and I work on studio projects and I'll share those on the internet, like my website or a newsletter or social media. Um, I'll, I'll try to have shows when I can to show works off, but I haven't done like too many shows since 2020, but I, I'll need to get back on that. Um, and yeah, I'll go out for like uh, runs or, or walks in the woods or like local parks and uh, just kind of like study a lot of uh, forests and we have a lot of swamps here, like wetlands and wildlife. So I get a lot of information or ideas for that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, sometimes I'll run into DC and like do all the museums. We have the Great National Mall. So it's a really nice, it's like a 10 or 20 mile, or 10, 10 or 12 mile run get there eat drink coffee uh, wait 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 you museums. can run to dc from where you live yeah yeah it's really no, nice so, you're that close mm -hmm. wow yep. that's a blessing so 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 that's like a great day and it's no painting that day that's an all-day uh run the art or the zoo or like there's like a lot of cool things like cemeteries old neighborhoods you know things maybe meet up with some friends talk about art and things and then run home Usually you run twenty four miles to go to museums, round yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's like my my weekly pilgrimage. So that get that resets me because otherwise, what happens is I end up staying up all night, like later and later, painting. So I need that to kind of exhaust myself and then get a good night's sleep, and then I'm okay the next few days again. Yeah, and I get you get like a lot. I feel like you get a lot of um, self made anxiety or restlessness if you just sit all day in front of a computer or in front of a a canvas and yeah. that's kind of what painters do i mean i know you can walk around and whatever but like it, it's still you're just in a room all day so you need to get out and be more kind of primal and you know exercise or something like right. ancestors so that's what that's what i do and, and i'm pretty happy between those extremes right so about how many hours a week do you get in painting then 
I don't know. I don't count. That's, that's I guess that's what I'm getting at. I don't have the nine to four thing. Okay. Um, but but once I start painting, I'll be pretty productive. Right. Um, okay. I, I guess I don't like counting it. I'm against counting it. Well, I, I don't <laughs> count either. But I have a general idea of what I get in, and it, I'd be ashamed to even share with you, so I won't. But um, but I'm it always fluctuates. It does it's for just, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. So. I'm I'm trying to imagine you running in these dresses. So please tell me you wear something besides these dresses when you run 24 miles. Yeah, I have a secret. I have a secret disguise. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen you in anything but a dress. So I would love to see that. It's funny you mentioned that because I actually have some YouTube videos where I'm running in a dress. So I no can perpetuate the myth. <laughs> So tell us about that. What? How did you start wearing these beautiful dresses, and where do you get them? I started around like 2008, and I got them from like antique stores or flea markets. There were a lot of these Tyrolean, like you know, outfits. They're modern, but they look old. Yeah. Um, and then in Italy, they sell them as well as in Austria, and. Um, yeah, just collecting old things, modern things that look like old things, just kind of like a scavenger hunt, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I kind of like the idea of having um, clothes I can paint that they double props. Right. And well, you can write them off. Write them off and, and you don't <laughs> have to, um, you don't have to worry about what's in style. You know, I know most artists don't care about that, but. It it seems like a lot of people worry about what they look like or how they're dressed. They spend a lot of time worrying about that. So I like not having to worry about that at all. It's interesting that you mentioned that most artists don't care about that because I think there's a stereotype, which I think is um, has been created by amateur artists, not professional artists, mm -hmm. that style is everything to an artist. And most professionals I know don't want to take much time to think about what they're wearing. They've got better things to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I read, I read that, um, the, I guess like the tech, big tech people in Silicon Valley, like they made it popular to just wear like a black shirt. And I don't know, is it like, yeah, Steve Jobs. You know, yeah. Steve Jobs. Wasn't it Steve Jobs who said, I, I, I don't want to take the time or mental energy to think about what yeah. they're yeah. yeah. It's the theory that like every time you have to make a little micro decision, you, you're exhausting your brain and you'll right. end your ability to think at some point in the day and you have to refresh. So it's like you take away little, little niggly things like that. So maybe yeah. there's a little bit of that. Yeah. No, I'm with you hundred percent, except my dress is a t-shirt and jeans. That's all I ever wear. Yeah. <laughs> t-shirt and jeans. It never goes out of style. And you're not, <laughs> yeah. you know, you just, you're neutral. People expect you to look like that. So yeah. I dressed up for the mm -hmm. podcast and wore a button up shirt, but as soon as I'm done, I'm taking it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. But tell me a little bit more about it, though, because I know there's more to this story that got you into this. And I, I mean, you don't have to share it if you don't want to, but I know that there's more to this story that got you from what you looked like before to what you look like now. Mm. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess I liked the idea of dressing up nicely and I didn't have the budget or like... The outlet for it when I was younger, maybe. So maybe it was like a repressed uh, desire 
Yeah. Um, I know, I know also, um, when I was younger, um, I, my mom didn't want me to have like dolls or pink or anything like girly. So oh. maybe, maybe it's like it came out. <laughs> it got, this it is got your repressed. rebellion. Or you no, know, like maybe it's some kind of deep, deep undercurrent psychological um, thing. I don't, I don't know, but. Um, okay. So maybe I'm wrong. I had heard a story and correct me if I'm wrong. I had heard a story that you were a mountain climber and maybe you still are mm -hmm. mountain climber. Rock, rock climbing. Rock climbing. Rock, yeah. Yeah. And that you craved and that you're, you're obviously in incredible condition. Um, I mean, I, you might not be able to see it on the podcast, but I, I know you personally. Um, but that uh, you craved um, feeling feminine at some point. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, so I must have heard that. I thought I heard that from you, but I guess yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I, th I think I think so. Yeah, I think that was probably part of like, like you know, growing up. Yeah. Because um, I I know there was a time when it was like normal for young you know women and girls to wear dresses and and bows and things, and then yeah. it just sort of became unpopular. Um, and at least where I lived, there was this huge pressure to buy like you know certain brands there there was it was it was I, I actually i read that was kind of a new thing it maybe came around like when i was growing up but um a lot of clothing companies found out they could sell more products by making people feel bad if they didn't buy isn't that cool strange thing. yeah there's a documentary on it uh yeah. called uh, white hot about abercrombie and fitch and i was like oh that was like me growing up i remember that store and i remember that you know um, like I didn't wear that stuff, but I remember that being a thing. And it's so funny to watch a documentary about it. It's like, I wasn't making it up. It really existed, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I, I'm sure there was some of that, but I think mostly it was just being an artist and liking imagination. And if you look at most of the art in the past, uh, people had really nice clothing, like, like most cultures, indigenous cultures, like they dressed beautifully. Yeah, and the the Hollywood doesn't always show it very well. They they kind of have a general wardrobe, but if you actually look at like museums and old paintings, that mm -hmm. it's just amazing. And it it is a little weird to me how. Well, I mean the the jeans and the t shirt is, is is a good idea, but it is weird how everyone wears it now. Like right. it's like a mass conformity and a erasure of culture, and distinction, and that that scares me a little bit. And that like. Uh, that's not why I'm a painter. So, so I'm right. like the opposite, you know, maybe I'm, I'm also just trying to, um, I, I'm sure it has less to do with childhood and more to do with art, uh, the way I dress, but I just thought I'd throw the childhood thing as a, as a joke. Oh, maybe that's all it was. You're probably just, <laughs> just trying to entertain me. <laughs> well, I think it's awesome and it's super authentic, which is, which is really cool. Um, I mean, you wear it well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You wear it figuratively and literally you wear it well. So, yeah, um, tell me a little bit about what you're painting right now. Oh, uh, well, I started some big pieces and they're vaguely allegorical. So I've got one of the garden of Eden with Eve reaching for an apple. And I've got the tree of life, which is this really old tree I found in the woods near me. And I've been kind of visiting it for a long time. Um, like since I was five or something. So uh, it's like, it's like this really old flat spider like tree with a cyclops eye, and like a gaping wow, mouth. That's awesome. And, and, and it, 
the branches go completely horizontal and then they flip back. Um, so I was going to put a bunch of like cherry blossoms and fruits up here with like birds and things. I've got like sharks and fish down below. And then I've got another painting with, um, I, I, I was trying to figure out what, what it should be. I think I finally figured it out. I'm going to have like a gold, like bejeweled skeleton, like a skeleton rider with uh, armor, like gold armor. They have a lot of these in churches. Um, to, I guess put saints or, um, you know, dead heroes in these kind of like suits of armor, like angels of death or something. It was very old Catholic thing. It's not that anymore. It's kind of probably too gruesome, but there's a lot of them. There's books of them and everything. Um, I'm going to put one of those on the horse. And then I've got like, it's running through a tulip field and I've got the three graces and, um, you know, Paris, the judgment of Paris, the apple. I've got a lot of cool stuff like that. And I'm doing a Jonah of the whale one. It's just in my head, but I've got the canvas and the composition and everything. Wow. So, so I'm doing fun stuff. Yeah, you are doing some fun stuff. And you're getting into the, the you said allegorical, but also those two of those you mentioned are biblical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Was, I'm interested yeah. in uh, stories that are so old and everyone either knows about them, believes in them, or believes in some version. Right. Um, I also like fairy tales, but yeah. they're, people don't recognize most fairy tales. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up, this idea of recognizing, well, I'm okay, maybe I'm making an assumption here, but my assumption is that you like that because you can communicate through it because it's something we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because recently I saw someone presented a piece of artwork to me and they mentioned a little one, a single stroke that was a particular color and that this artist did this in multiple paintings and then described what this particular stroke in this particular color represented throughout that series. And it was this long explanation about what this particular stroke represented. And I was thinking to myself, how would anyone ever know what that one single stroke represented unless you were there to explain it to them, right? So mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's because we're kind of at this, I feel like in art, we're, I wonder if we're at this place where we, we don't have a common language anymore. Mm -mm. And so artists are sort of grasping at straws, trying to create their own language and their own symbolism, but then no one else understands it. So it seems almost pointless, right? Um, well, some, some people like that. I mean, I think there's a lot of, for, for the last like 50 years or so, if you could tell what the painting was it was kitsch that was sort of yeah that's true the rule in the fine art world so artists started trying to get more and more abstruse so they could be new and original but still paint representationally I mean, i'm just talking about the representational artists right, right, i don't know right. about the others um so it, it does feel like we got kind of weird in a way yeah like, because we were trying to still be relevant and seen and because there is something about figurative artists. I think it doesn't really depend what age it is, but they, they seem to have that love of accomplishing something difficult, as you were saying before. And they'll do almost whatever it takes to get the opportunity to do that thing over and over again. So, you know, whether it's Caravaggio or Picasso or Mary Cassatt, 
you know, there's like three completely different artists, different backgrounds. Um, Sergeant, you know, we, we have people who are like either um, independently wealthy that like there's no need that they need to paint and they will, you know, um, they'll even do it when it's against the culture. It's like women shouldn't paint. And Mary Cassatt was like, well, I'm going to Europe and buying a castle and I'm going to paint, you know, and then and then there's like Caravaggio and he's like poor and um, having to sell like tourist kind of paintings and he gets picked up by a cardinal and then you know before you know it, he's doing like all these important religious pieces um even though he started off with like still life and sort of like they were saying sexualized self-portraits or something like like you know he just kept painting he just couldn't stop um and and then who was the other one i mentioned i don't remember but like it doesn't seem to matter what time period it is they all seem to want to make art so i feel like in the modern era the painters have gotten kind of weird um and, and we also probably have less restrictions on what we can do as well so it that might be why there's no common ground anymore yeah so what do you think about that what do you think about that direction that we've sort of headed as realists to be honest it, it it's uh, it goes from being a uh, wonderful um, but it also can be incredibly like headache inducing and confusing. And I think that's why I like the organizing analogy I was giving at the, the beginning about, you know, how to, yeah. uh, I, I just kind of become more interested in organization because that seems to be like the antidote to that. But I think, I think I find it a little confusing and, um, I almost wish I had never heard of the definition of kitsch because I don't like it and I don't like that if you paint something that's got um, a message, it's kitsch. Like, like, I don't like that idea, but for some reason my brain will believe it. So it's like, I almost feel like I have to obfuscate things a little bit to make art. Yeah, we're all sort know? of damaged. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what yeah. it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're a product of our generation and we're told things that are kitsch or sentimental and not, they have no depth. And so I think, uh, I wonder if it's a challenge or we, we put this undue pressure on ourselves to create something with, you know, with depth and with meaning and doing so it becomes almost contrived. It, at least that's the risk. Because personally, I've felt like it's really, there is a lot of pressure to be original and yet it's very difficult to be original or to force yourself to be original without coming off contrived and fake, right? And that's one of the things I love about your work is that you are unbelievably original. And I didn't even realize it until I met you just how authentic it was. Like it is you to the core and no one can accuse you of just sort of faking it for the sake of originality. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to think of, uh, a question for that. And I guess, well, here's the question I have for you that relates to that. And I think would help any students who are listening to this, if you have, I mean, maybe if you have some insight on this, how does one arrive at such a level of creativity and originality and uniqueness and remain authentic? So you're, you're saying that creativity and uniqueness is inauthentic? No, no, no. I'm saying or you have to change yourself to become. I'm saying, uh, how does one arrive at such a unique 
style and still be 100% yourself. In other words, without forcing it. Well, so I think this is where um, maybe like what I was saying about the weirdness that everyone wears, like jeans and t-shirt, we'll just take that example. Right. We think that's normal. Right. And then we think that uh, anything else is abnormal. Um, but we could also say that about like, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you buy potatoes, you have two choices. You have like white russet or red russet and yellow potato, right? Like right. that's abnormal. Like, historically, there were like a thousand different kinds of potatoes and there were millions of like cultural outfits and dresses. And so we've become, we're becoming some monoculture. Um, so, so maybe it's more like everyone is unique and original. Um, but they've all been conditioned to, to conform. So when you leave the conformity and become original, you think you're losing originality or authenticity, but you're not, you're just maybe regaining your authenticity that you, um, for, for good reasons, like we all have to conform to society and things, you know, but you've, we've, we've conformed, uh, maybe so much that, um, making art is hard or finding your art voice is hard, maybe. That might be my thought on that. So, uh, uh, um, it's what you're I've, saying. I've just never thought that. I've just never thought that um, originality or, or um, self-expression was difficult. I guess I've always thought that. Was well, that's kind of... obvious. Looking at your work, yeah. So maybe that's maybe because it comes naturally to you, it's difficult to explain how you got there. But what I'm hearing you saying is that your lack of an innate desire to to conform to society's standards made it easy for you to just let your natural self just sort of flow out and it you didn't have to it wasn't a difficult thing for you it just sort of came out easily yeah whereas yeah. for another person that struggles with fitting in it might they might find it difficult to not self edit um self-edit their own inner voice, just edit their own inner voice in order to appear creative or appear original. So, so someone who has a hard time fitting in, wouldn't that make it easier for them to be original? No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm sorry. I'm saying quite the opposite. Oh. So oh, right, in right, an yeah. effort to fit in, mm -hmm. in an effort to an effort to fit in, you know, uh, let me put it this way. So I remember one time someone said to me, um, they were they pointed to somebody who was dressed in the, the the latest extreme fashion right i don't remember what it was maybe it was like goth or something i have no idea and they pointed and and looked at them and looked at me and said you know what that is that's the uniform of nonconformity and i thought that is brilliant right so this mm -hmm. is someone who is trying to be unique but because they're trying so hard to be unique they're editing themselves too consciously instead of just letting themselves be who they are naturally. Mm. You know what I'm saying? To you, it's like, it's like you didn't worry about that. It's like you didn't care if you looked unique to the world. So you were able to just sort of like let yourself kind of be exposed instead of self-editing. Um, I guess the simplest way to put it is trying too hard. Do you know what I mean? Um, that's the way I, that's, that's what appears to me to be to me from looking from the, on the, from the outside, looking in at what you're doing. Mm. Um, 
but I don't know. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts about what I'm saying? Is it completely off track? Um, well, I remember I went to Italy and I was 17 and I was wearing jeans and like t-shirts and stuff. And then something happened like a year in and, um, you know, I'm in another country, obviously like no internet, didn't have a computer, no internet, no phone. Um, so everything's just word of mouth, books, museums, and, uh, Obviously, I could visit the internet, but we had these internet cafes that were run by Pakistani people, and they were incredibly shady. Like they would try to, you had to pay per half hour, and they would try to steal your information. Like if you didn't erase your passwords off the history, you know, it wasn't somewhere you went and dwelt. You just had to go there to like buy an airplane ticket or something, you know. Right. So there was no social media happening, but like you could order things, obviously. So I think I ordered some, some like striped socks or something, and uh, like poofy skirts and I think I was just kind of uh yeah just just slowly started to morph into my style and I didn't I kind of spoke Italian but I wasn't fluent so I and I was always biking I was always zipping around between the school buildings or class I was just in class all the time working all the time like workaholic um so that's that's how I grew up and then I came back to the U.S. And um, I was just continued what I was doing here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so well, just to be clear, usual. <laughs> just to be clear, I'm referring to your paintings, though. Like obviously, yeah. your personal style is a whole is it is the same. I I, I would say it's the same in, in that mm. you came about it in a very authentic way. But I'm referring to your paintings because it seems yeah. like there's it seems like like that's one of the most difficult things as a painter is to find authenticity, to let mm. yourself be completely open to the world and be who you are and ex and make decisions that are completely your own um without overthinking it and without trying to be unique without trying and then ending up with a contrived result well i mean i think um again i think this is easier than people make it but um i remember when i first got back from italy and i was trying to uh get into the US art world, like had been completely out of it. I did subscribe to a lot of those art magazines that I know are still popular, probably less less so because of the internet, but they were really popular, right? And you just get like a stack of art magazines geared to artists and collectors. Yeah. And you'd flip through them. And of course, like all the pages were paid for. None, none of there was very few like editorials. So um, all of it was, you know, promoting a show. And so you kind of were like, well, this is what's popular. This is who's getting a show. I need to paint that if I want a show. And that's kind of felt like maybe something you would do. You would kind of flip through and you would find the, the person having the show that you resonated with. And you'd be like, I can do this. And then you, I actually used to hear galleries complain about that. They would say like, just because we are exhibiting someone whose work you like doesn't mean if you copy their work we're going to give you a show we want something different that, that's what they would some of them would say um others i don't think would be as like scrupulous they would probably be like um yeah the whole other phenomenon which was like if someone was doing really well and they developed some style like there was a guy who was using paint rollers and palette knives like everything but paintbrushes and he was doing cityscapes and stuff and but his work was selling for so much so then people would imitate his style paint in the exact same locations but like 
give it for a fraction of the price and give it to a gallery down the street. Ouch. <laughs> so Ouch there, was, there was a lot of that going on. Yeah, there was a lot of that, like various forms of that happening as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that. it does seem like imitation is one of the ways that we learn. I've actually heard it said that like, it's okay to imitate. I mean, everything, there's nothing new under the sun. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. It's, it's more like, as long as you're, you're borrowing from more than just the one source and you're giving your own spin on it, then you can, you know, like, like we all know, like you can look at an artist's work and take the mood from what they do, but not copy the colors or not copy their drawing style or something. You can, you can get inspired yeah. by all sorts of things. So that's a more sophisticated way maybe of getting ideas and probably spending more time reading art history or, or current art or um, visiting art museums, like traveling more. I, I would imagine those are always to develop your work more. Um, yeah. Well, but, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the former seems to be the biggest pitfall I see. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it seems well-intentioned, but it, it, and, and some people, they, they think, well, you should be able to just paint whatever you want. And if you want to copy someone's work, go ahead. Um, have you ever heard of the, the singularity? No, that what was is that? A big, uh, okay. So I'm not like super into this, but that was a big thing that some of like the, the more science computer kids in my school were talking about when I was in like high school, middle school, but I feel like we're getting there. So the singularity is like soon everyone will know everything or be able to understand it by looking it up. So there, there is no individuality. And so it's like, you starting to see that with artists. So it's like, it used to be about having an original voice and developing something and learning to draw and paint over years. And now it's just like, no, we'll just get a photo of this person's work and collage it with this person's work. And then um, put the photo up and say, we're going to paint this and then pre-sell it like an NFT and then paint it after it's sold. Like, like it's becoming more and more like an assembly line. Yeah. Um, the people like and that to me seems like the singularity it's like um people will just uh grab a bunch of other people's art and just make their own career off that um i don't know how to explain it like like yeah. it, it is a really interesting well, topic it is so and you're the person to talk to about it because i think that like i said you've got you've clearly got a thing going that is uniquely you but uniqueness isn't really exactly what I'm trying to pull out of you. It's authentic authenticity. So for example, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to interview Todd Casey. Are you familiar with his work? No, I've heard of him. I'll he's just, a like, still life painter. Okay. And he's very traditional. And, um, but I would argue that he's also authentic, even though he doesn't look a whole lot different than many artists in the past. But I would argue that it's very likely because of uh, just, well, for various reasons, that um, that's just his temperament. That's authentically him. Um, and to, to do something else would not, not be as natural. So, mm -hmm. so, but someone could argue, well, it's not authentic because it's not different. Right. And that's I mean, not, that's I'm not what at I'm it. getting at. Yeah. I, I think it has, I mean, I know a lot of people paint fruit and, and drinks. Right. But I think that his work has his own authentic spin on it. I would exactly. Imagine. But it's not particularly out there. Right. So what I'm saying yeah. is like there's there's people 
that I'm totally, sh I'm like, I'm making this up, right? I'm not picking on anybody, you know, like maybe you buy a certain brush and you make a little twist of the wrist every time you paint a particular thing and it becomes your, your thing, right? And that's your new style. And you hang on to that for dear life because it makes you unique and sets you apart. But it, that's what I'm talking about. So what I mean is where you're looking so hard to set yourself apart that you're not allowing yourself to just be you, right? And what's interesting is you keep saying, oh, I think this is easier than, than, uh, than, easier than it seems. And I'm like, of course it is for you because you're good at it. <laughs> like I was just are, about to yeah. say something like that. I, I yeah. just had a thought. So, right. I, so, so what I think is, because um, we've been talking about computers and social media, right. I have, and, and, and all this is why I brought up singularity stuff. But like, if we just turn, we put the tools aside. Right. Uh, I think the thing that makes you authentic, and I do this all the time, I just don't talk about it or think about it, but you, I have, you should have like a movie playing in your head of your paintings, right? Like a tableau vivant in your head. That should be in your head. You're not even thinking about it. It's like daydreaming. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't have dreams and paint them, but some people do that. Right. Um, or you can have like... Like, I, you know, I was someone who used to daydream, like, uncontrollably. So that might be part of it. But, like, uh, it was like when you can't stop daydreaming. Like, you'll get pulled off for, for wandering Right, off. right. You know, like, I, I used to have that really bad. Yeah, I'm the same um, way. So I think that's still with me, though I can control it better. Or I design my life so that it's not an issue if I do have it. It's a strength. But but you should just have videos or whatever you want to call Tableau vivant, or maybe you're a character, but you should have uh, these things in your head, and then you make them into art. And and whether you have to use photos or models or pure imagination, I mean, I think really most of us would want to be able to use most of the time, but it doesn't seem to be something we can do. We seem to have to use real life as a model. Right. And so you cut you out for a minute. Stuff. You cut out for a minute. But what you just said was most of us would prefer to use imagination if possible, but but instead we, we use we reference. reference yeah 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 I, I would say so that seems to be the most common and there's definitely a history of people who i kind of like to study this i find this kind of fun yeah me too. but there's a history of people who say that they just paint from imagination but you can almost catch them out like there, i had a <laughs> i had an artist friend older guy so he he you know he was the printout days and he made a painting all from imagination and I was like asking about the species of that turtle and he didn't know what species it was. And he was like, oh, that, I did that from imagination. And I'm thinking, no, he didn't. <laughs> or or he, he'd painted a bunch of like square dancers and, and he was like complaining about the shoes they were wearing. And I'm like, well, why didn't you paint from a different movie poster? And he's like, no, this is from imagination. And I'm like, if it was from imagination, then why would you compl be complaining about the shoes that they were wearing in this particular painting? You know, it, it was just like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you that's catch a pretty bad liar, huh? Or my favorite is um, mm -hmm. on on television. Like every few years, they'll have like a five year old or a ten year old child, and she has these giant, blown up photocopies. Um, usually, they're religious nature. They have a religious nature, and they'll be like, um, divinely inspired, painted from the imagination. You know, no no training no photography no nothing and you're like no that that looks like a photo like it just does it has yeah the right colors you know the, the wide angle lens effect the distortion like there's no way that is from <laughs> imagination 
you know, like I'm so impressed, but like it, it seems to be a thing that, uh, you know, painted purely from the imagination. So I, I, I do respect that. I, I do think that a lot of people want to do that, but I think the reality is, I mean, that's why we have to go to school and learn how to draw. Like we just can't invent things. We, we need nature. Yeah. Um, well, there are great artists out there. Like, have you heard of Kim Jong-gi? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've watched, I've watched him obsessively, but he'll even say, he says, I trick people. I don't paint from my imagination. He says, when I was growing up, I just drew trucks and machine guns and women all the time. And I have it in my head now. Um, like I've memorized all the shapes. Oh, well, stuff. I see that as synonymous. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 yeah it's well, still fantastic. But what I was going to say though, is that's a very different thing than painting like Rembrandt, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's uh, all line work. It's line work, right? And what makes um, what I think makes it nearly impossible to do a really truly masterful reproduction of nature from imagination is just the complexity of light. Like, yeah, once you start getting into value and really trying to manipulate the way light would would fall over complex forms like the human figure, it's just that's where it falls apart, right? And so yeah. people like Kim Jong Gi are geniuses who I can't even like. I'm not worthy to, you know, carry his food or for him <laughs> to him, you know, but at the same time, like a, a painter, that's a whole different thing. Trying to make up, uh, like trying to make up a Rembrandt portrait, right? Would yeah. be a whole it, it would level. take too long as well. Yeah. It would be it, unbelievable. It's not as difficult. instantaneous. Yeah. Um, so tell me that leads to another question that I have for you. Tell me about your process a little bit. How do you put these complex compositions together technically? So I just stretch a really big canvas. I don't do any preliminary thumbnails. Sometimes I'll, I'll do thumbnails or just sketchbook drawings if I'm away on a trip. And that's mm -hmm. uh, like, I, I was told, oh, you should keep a sketchbook. So I was like, fine, I'll try keeping a sketchbook. But usually I'm not that type of person. Um, and so um, I'm, I'm much more likely to like read something if I get an idea or acquire um, some kind of physical item that I need to paint. I'll, I'll put together a, a supply list for myself, not do a thumbnail. Yeah, um, yeah. That's just how I am. So so I'll, um, I'll read a lot or something. But um, so I just have the image in my head. And then I have to make it look real. So I have to get usually photo references I'll take myself, I'll have models over. Um, I tend to paint a lot of recurring themes, like, so like, I'll just keep painting the same dresses and dolls and things. Um, and then lately I've been doing wildlife photography. So I'll just paint things from photos and imagination with the landscapes. It has to be more from imagination because the colors don't translate at all. Right. Um, but, but things like birds or fish, you absolutely need to take a photo because they move too quick for the human eye to see. Right. Um, and so that's like part of my process. And um, I usually have a, a main character or two, like a foreground character I'll draw in with charcoal. Um, and then I'll kind of come up with a horizon line and I'll just start painting it. So I just start painting on white canvas and uh, all the Prima color right away. Um, and I, add as I go. So I'll solve the rest of the composition as I go. And yeah. so I'll, I won't just paint from one photo reference. I'll paint from like maybe a hundred. You sort of Frankenstein and, it together. Yeah. And, yeah. and I solve it as I go. 
um, which I like that. Um, I don't like planning it all too much. Though sometimes I'll do that for smaller things. I'll plan it all ahead, but not not for the bigger ones because I'm, I'm trying to improve and like we were talking about, paint more from imagination and paint more stories. And so I, I'm very comfortable with like painting tabletop still lifes and portraits and, and nudes, but that that's like an object, um, very straightforward. Um, and so I'm more interested now in learning more about like medieval perspective and composition and earlier. Um, and yeah, just, just, uh, being like surprised at how the painting's turning out as I go. So, so I've been working that way a little bit more, okay. which is definitely like not, I, I find it easy because I'm able to draw and place things so well now. So if I need something to be uh, like certain size, cause it's behind the main characters, like in perspective, I'll know, I'll know kind of instinctively how big to make it or like what angle to paint it from. Um, but I don't do any kind of like uh, perspective lines. So I'm much more into like, I was saying multiple point perspective, like, like a yeah. Bruegel or Bosch, like some things will be from above and some things will be from straight on and things in the back will look closer sometimes because it's all about making a picture, not making a photograph. Um, because, because, because normal perspective is annoying to me because you get a big thing in the front and then everything just shrinks really quick and everything's like little tiny dots in the background. Um, yeah. I mean, if you just take a photo that you get disappointed, right? You, right. you can't, you can't see the, uh, a bird's eye view of the landscape unless you are actually above on a hill. So I like to play with the perspective and, Bit more things in uh the canvas yeah and not get as much naturalism so i'll i'll put species that shouldn't be together or i'll put um plants that are out of season together you know so i'll, I'll do things like that oh, um, and I that's kind hearing, of liberating i love hearing you talk about this because you're bringing up things that i instinctively noticed but didn't really I just accepted it because I guess because it's done well, like I just accepted it that, it, you know, cause right now I'm going to, I'm going to pull up uh, your, just your front page on your website here. But um, because I'm looking at this painting as you're talking, cause I have your browser on another monitor here. And um, what's interesting about it is, well, give me a second here. I actually lost my cursor. Oh, what's interesting about it is, um, it, yeah, it's like you're, it's not flat, right? Because there, every, every object has form, but yet you are kind of painting everything on the front of the canvas. Yeah. Right. It's except like, for the church. Well, except yeah, for the church, everything else most is... of it. Yeah. yeah. And I guess I've noticed it before, but I haven't really given much thought because you do it so well. I'm not questioning it. I'm not saying, oh, no, that's wrong. It should be one-point perspective or two-point perspective. Um, yeah. So it's working really uh, well. I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have some more pieces that aren't on the site yet because they're in progress. Okay. And they're probably, like, on my Instagram and stuff. But they're getting a little more perspective in there than that. So I have one painting where I'm putting a Haran Visbosch landscape in the background. So that's going to have a little more distance. But... Yeah, I just found it kind of annoying to obey two-point perspective. And, and yeah. with photography, which I respect a lot, I do it. And I'm like, well, why would I want to do what the photo does, like, infinitely better? So, and that's just me speaking. So I, I prefer to draw 
things like like more like Caravaggio or something like you know things are life size and they're dramatic and close up and I can see all the brushwork and the details so that's just me but I have been starting to do more miniatures lately like like miniatures hidden within a large canvas so and I almost just do that just to fit more in I kind of like fitting a lot of things in a, in a picture so I'm um, not to beat a dead horse here, but I'm going to go back to this authenticity thing. Um, yeah, you keep yeah. saying, you keep cool. saying, that's just me. That's just me. Like I'm going to have other mm -hmm. artists on here that want to paint better than the photo, which is what basically quoting what you just said that you, you're not after painting better than the photo. You're after something different. Right. Um, and, and, but yet for them, that's their temperament. Right. And so for them, that's totally authentic. But for you, your authenticity is something completely different. Um, and that is like going, uh, I don't want to say beyond the photo, but going away, going away from the photo. I would, if I had to describe it, it's like. Are you just using it, like pretending it's real life? Well, it's not even. It's a more, it's a more helpful sitter. It's a sitter who'll sit really still forever. Yeah. 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 But it's not the subject. A snapshot. Right. The sitter is not even the subject in a way. Like I'm looking at this drawing. And is this a self-portrait? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I don't think of it as a self-portrait. I just kind of model for generic right. poses for myself. Right. Yeah. I know. And so, because so obviously you don't straight. have a green and a purple eye, which is awesome, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I just um, let, I let things drift a bit. I, I like, I kind of like it. It's like creating a character. Right. Right. Um, create like an alter ego self that I disassociated from myself. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's what I was getting at is that you're not, your main goal is not reproducing nature. It seems like in this painting, it's making a picture. Um, yeah. It's making, it's designing, mm -hmm. designing from corner to corner. This is gorgeous, by the way. It reminds me of Klimt, but it's totally you. Like, uh, it is definitely inspired by Klimt. Yeah. I had, I had the book out and I, and I, and I, yeah. I went down that way and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to keep doing this. Um, well, I, I freaking love like, it. Is it still for sale by any chance? <laughs> I think I think it is. Yeah. What? All right. Sure. Let's talk after the podcast. I'll, I'll go check the flat file. Okay. But okay. I'm pretty sure that one is. All right. So I'm just going to flip through a few of your drawings for those people who are watching this on YouTube. I think I own one of your drawings. I have that good fortune of having gotten one of yours when you were probably still affordable. I'm hoping maybe you still are, but. Uh, <laughs> still <am>. Um. <laughs> But now this one, tell me about this one. Why is this one, is this supposed to be um, vertical? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's supposed to be kind of like a floating, falling movement sort of feeling. I love it. Feeling. Yeah, it's totally unpredictable. But one of the things yeah, that's- I try, I, I like mark making. And, and so with, with uh, line and ink and charcoal, I like to play with the mark making. And um, I'm told some people prefer the drawings to my paintings. So I've been trying to get my paintings to have that same energy. That's interesting. So I like line that. work a lot. Yeah. Because I, uh, I love all of your work, but I, I absolutely am like, I, I'm like addicted to your drawings. Like you're, they're the purest expression of drawing, like no photos, no, what it is. no, no copying, but, but the paintings, I feel like I'm still doing the classical thing where it's like you put the shadows and you fill them in and then you put the lights and then you turn them. It's, it's very like, I'm, I'm trying to get away from it, but they're still very like in a certain canon. Whereas the drawings are know. just me. I hesitate to, to say, 
I, I say just I hesitate to even say or hesitated to even say that because I don't think you should change your paintings. It's just yeah. some no, people are going to prefer drawings and some people are going to prefer paintings. Like, yeah, maybe that's it. And for me, yeah. it's a close, it's a close one. So don't take that. But your drawings, the thing about your drawings that I love, like here's another good example. It's just they have so much energy. They're just, I mean, the strokes, it's just, um, they're just wild and chaotic. And then you zero in on, on your, your um, focal point, which is typically the face and the eyes. And then it just, it's mind-blowingly beautiful and, and um, academically strong. It's just, it's like you've got, you're the whole package. You're an abstract genius and an incredible drafts person at the same time. That's oh, what I love you. about it. Like, yeah. yeah, abstract is, that is fun, that part. It's, it's mostly the blocking that just was never developed. And it's, yeah, I guess so. And where a lot of people like me, like I'm, I don't think I have the courage to do this, which is probably why I admire it so much. That might be it, honestly, because I, maybe because I can relate to your paintings more than I can to your drawings in my own technique. So it makes me, it makes me more interested in your drawings because they're so far removed from the way I draw. Yeah, That's I'm, I'm the same. It. I, I got into this uh, Sumi ink drawing, which I don't put on my website. And I haven't done it for a while, but they're, uh, you know, the, the traditional animal hair brushes with like bamboo handles on really absorbent paper mm -hmm. and you can't erase. And, and, and it's all about line work, obviously, and position and a little bit of abstraction. And I think my goal is to be able to do these charcoals, but with ink without erasing. And I'm not quite there yet because I, I rely on blending and smudging a lot, but I, I would love to get there. Which do you prefer to do, drawing or painting? Um, painting, I think. I mean, I like I like drawing too. I want to do it more. Um, but I think the painting pays the bills. So there's this feeling like it's more serious, and it's also what people want to see. Right. Um, Does that frustrate I, I you at all that people don't buy drawings the way they buy paintings? Uh, not. Not entirely. I mean, I think maybe I prefer painting because of the color and and the way you can work it up. Um, so I, I guess it's just a maybe frustration at not having enough time in the day. Yeah. You know, but, but I definitely want to do more drawing. I think when I draw a lot, I feel like I'm just playing around and not being serious. And then the painting feels more serious. And um, yeah, I'd like to get at the drawings more myself, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So I'm going to go back to one that while you were talking that I had here, um, this one, this reminds me of another project that you've done. I don't know if you're still doing this, but you were doing these scarves that were really beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah, that a was a way that. of trying to be more serious about the drawings on silk. So, so they're like, I can sell multiples and people can wear them and and yeah, I, I put a lot of work into the drawing um, before I, you know, turned it into a silk scarf. Is that yeah, what I this have four is? Out. Is that what this is intended for? This particular yeah, painting? Yeah, it is a silk scarf. Okay. Yep. yep. It's called the Madonna for those who are listening. And it's in the drawing section of her website. Um, yep. Okay, let's look at some of your paintings. So we're looking at 
this one here called The Journey of Life, 29 by 34. Tell me about that one. Oh, um, well, I was doing a self-portrait and I wanted to put this um, still life on the table and it was kind of echoing a previous painting that I had made. And while I was doing it, I kind of got the feeling like I was sort of done with like interior, you know, portrait still lives. So I was like, why don't I put like a seascape and some sharks? Um, and, I, and I think I had been playing with some ink drawings with that theme, like someone in a boat and a shark. So I, I thought oh, I'll just do that. So I, I, I kind of like quote ruined it and added the sharks. Um, there were all sorts of people who were like, oh, you're ruining it, you know, but I, I was like, no, no, I like it. And then, um, and then while I was painting it, I think I went to a trip on a, on a trip, came back and I was taking the painting out to finish it. And I had to decide what to do with the sky. And then I remember Notre Dame was on fire and I was like watching that all day on the news, like following it. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to put that into the, you know, the, the sky. I know a lot of people were doing, they were like showing their plein airs of Notre Dame. Everyone was like posting pictures that I think, of course, it was in my head. So I tried to be a little more open to current events because a lot of my work doesn't reference current events or pop culture whatsoever. Um, and I'd been told that that was a like a, a handicap or something. Like if I wanted to get better known or put in shows or whatever, it's like, you know, you have to talk about um, hot button events. And, um, and I was like, well, I'm kind of interested in that, you know, like that, that's yeah. kind of cool. So, but I don't know. Now I think it's unleashed a Pandora's box. Cause I have more paintings that aren't, they're not in the finished section, but I have like some hidden gallery sections on my website, uh, that have like more other, you know, other, other newer works and they're starting to get more current events hidden in them. <laughs> I tend to hide stuff in the skies or, um, okay. Like, like in the backgrounds, I tend to like, I'm using the, the backgrounds now, I guess. Um, and I guess I was, I called it the journey of life. So I was basing it on this painting that we have a series of at the National Gallery in DC. And it's a guy in a boat going through like the four stages of life. And um, I thought that was kind of a cool metaphor. Yeah. You know, people on a boat. Not a literal boat, but like, you know, a lifeboat kind of thing. Um, and uh, obviously like anxiety and the sharks that kind of seem like a good, they're like this kind of primordial um, anxiety character. I, I think that that's probably one of the big unspoken realities is that like everyone seems to have anxiety. And yeah, and that's funny because I was going to ask popular. you about Anxiety. Yeah, it's popular to say it now, but like it, before, it was like only a few people have it, and there's something wrong with them, you know. And and it, 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 but now it's like I think since 2020, everyone is like allowed to have anxiety, and um, I I find that really interesting, and and I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with like like reality, and then organization, and then creativity, and then. Anxiety is somewhere where you don't have enough of either. Like you need enough um, of like a, a framework in life, but you also need some, I don't know, like spirituality or greater meaning. And uh, and then there's the, I think the anxiety is like plaguing the culture 
Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I, I think that's, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts about this. So I, I find this interesting, but I mean, it, it could be like technology affecting our brains, which are not evolved to, to basically feel telepathic. Yeah. Um, or, or it could be the loss of religion as a, a main fulcrum for the culture. Yeah. Um, and so people for the first time in history growing up with no religion, not, not pseudo having it and having the choice, but like maybe just not having it at all um, from a, whatever you want to call a evolutionary perspective, that's going to be interesting because some people argue that religion is part of our evolution. Um, that that's what made us survive. Yeah. You know, well, some people say we'll just start creating new religions around new things. And and maybe we are, yeah. you know, so that, there's like people are, talking yeah. about the new religions that, that aren't religions, but kind of are. Um, yeah. And like, I don't know what the safetyism or the, I don't want to like say too many, uh, I don't want to get in trouble with we'll talking about modern stuff, but like, you yeah. know what I mean? It, we just had to get on, on YouTube and it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. All this cacophony of, of people talking and, um, that's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, well, everything you've said brought up two thoughts, two questions I have for you. So one, you mentioned that somebody told you that you should paint more current events. And I want to dig a little deeper on that because I want to be completely honest with you and transparent. And, and this is me just reflecting my own, you know, my own, uh, what's the word? Um, well, just how I perceive myself. And, you know, I think it's human nature to sort of assume that we are just part of a the, we are very similar to everyone else and everyone's similar to us. And if we're this way, then other people must think this way. And it's, I mean, it goes back to, you mentioned religion, like the golden rule, treat people how you want to be treated under the assumption that other people want to be treated the way you want to be treated. Right. So, and so you mentioned current events and I believe because I don't know enough about current events to make an intelligent statement about them. I don't believe any artist knows enough about current events to make an intelligent statement about them. And That's I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah, I, I could be like wrong. That. Oh, you do? Because if, I feel you, like that, yeah. if you and I are in the studio 40 hours a week, how, how could we possibly say something smart about current events? We're professional artists, not professional, whatever, yeah. you know, uh, professional well, philosophers or whatever. So I live in DC. Yeah. So basically have been told and, and, and witnessed in various ways over the last decade or and a half or whatever. But it's like, if you're not painting something that's addressing the current event of the moment, you're not going to get a show. Like your work's not valuable because it needs to be doing social good yeah, or man. it needs to be talking about um, inequality or promoting something, you know, something new. Um, and so um, it's like, it's already bad enough that you're doing realism because that's regressive. Right. Um, but we'll forgive that if it has a greater meaning, <laughs> you know, that, 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 at least that's me. And I've been told I should just move somewhere else or whatever, but like, it's not that easy, you know, like to just like pick up and go like, where else would I go? I feel like artists have this trouble. Yeah, but you can put but, your art anywhere, right? You can put your art somewhere exactly. else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but anyway, I, I think that that, got in my head a little bit. And yeah. so like a lot of artists that I talk to, it's not really about the technique or anything. It's about how to get a show, you know, and 
what what do you need to do to get in it yeah yeah so so this it's 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 become a, a fix not not a fixation of mine but but i do feel like it a concern maybe a at least yeah probably and so yeah. i'm sure that it, it was bleeding into the paintings a little bit yeah but, and i'm not critiquing you for even diving in that it's just as an artist, I wondered if you deal with that same conflict that I do. It's like, I, I realize that the art world expects us to be the voice of change in society, but I, ju I'm just a painter. I'm, I, I just want to make beautiful things, um, that, that relate to what I'm thinking about, to what's meaningful to me and, uh, society's too big for me to solve. Right. Um, but maybe that's cowardly. I don't know. But I just, I was curious about what your thoughts were on that. But the other thing I was curious about was, so are you a fan of Velasquez? Yeah. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Cause he was like an ambassador or he was a. Uh, oh, no, no, to no, totally different direction. So I'm, okay. you work like him. Like he's one of the few artists of that period and, bef and, 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 and probably many periods before and after uh, where realism was uh, prominent that didn't prepare and just took a canvas and just went to town on it and figured it out as he went, right? Because mm -hmm. most, I, I think it's fair to say that the majority of realists do many preparatory sketches and um, e even do the painting in miniature first to make sure everything's worked out. And um, I personally have found that by the time I'm done doing one of those, I'm done with the painting. I'm just like, I don't want to do it big. <laughs> I'm bored yeah. now. So that's, yeah. so that my question is, is that part of why you work the way you do as well? Is that you like, you only want to do it once and, or is it well, yeah. Is that... uh, well, no, I think there's a certain freshness to like the, the, you know, doing it purposely. And there's that feeling like, what if it goes wrong? And then there's a little bit more focus and expression and energy in the line work and, and the brushwork. Yeah. And yeah, just doing it once and doing it well. Right. And I mean, part of it, I think, is also just questioning the methods you were taught. Um, doesn't mean that they always work or they're the most efficient. So, you know, we are not in the 17th century. We do have photography and tools. So I just think sometimes that there's there's not as much of a need to make a drawing and value and color study and grid it up and, and all that stuff. Cause we're not living in a age where you have only daylight and Hell, that's probably valid. Couldn't see half the time you couldn't see half the time cause it was dark. So you had to just go by a color study or something. I don't know. We're not living there anymore. So it, it, it seems like we can streamline things. And, um, one of the pressures I definitely feel, especially during like the last two years and like getting better at cameras and, and microphones and stuff. It's like this pressure to be productive and efficient. So that's getting into the work. And that that's already was in the art world for a while. There was this a la prima movement, which was like painting things all at once, which is not how I was trained, but I, I had to try to get good at it because it turns out like the attention span is about two hours and people are tired. So if you're at any kind of art conference or show, everyone wants a painting demonstration and it has to be fast and good. So I had to learn that. And then the whole like um, trying to be productive time that, that probably also my style. Yeah. So it, it seemed like it was better to get more done 
more ideas done. Like right. If you have a certain amount of time in your life, it would be better to spend, at least to me, spend it doing more things yeah. than, than just like fewer things. So I, I like the more productive side uh, personally. The other thing that appeals to me about working that way, and again, I'm curious if this appeals to you, is that you end up creating a history in a painting that way because you end up painting over things you didn't anticipate painting over and building up paint in ways that you couldn't have predicted. Um, where, um, by contrast, if you plan too much, everything is so clean and perfect and predictable. Um, and mm -hmm. I find that interesting where you have kind of a buildup of ideas in paint. Um, yeah. is that something that appeals to you too, or is that something you just deal with? No, it appeals. I mean, I liked Antonio Mancini and Sargent mm -hmm. and, you know, all those kinds of artists. Like there's one here, Abbott Anderson Thayer, kind oh, of also yeah, 19th Thayer. century. Yeah, like th that's what's interesting. You're like, what is he thinking? Why is he using that color? Why did he do that brush stroke? Like he's got really good mark making. Whereas there's other people like William Bouguereau who are really good at like hiding the mark making, but their color choices and their the way that they make everything more beautiful or softer or rounder is, is really nice too. So I just felt like y you have to decide which one you're going to do at, at a certain point. And um, I think... I could have gone either way with the temperament, but I, I decided to go with a little more mark making. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So you feel like your temperament would allow either direction. You're more flexible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we... I, I did do smooth painting for a long time in my first school and it, it, I could do it. I was good, but it was, it would, I could tell it would have driven me nuts. So then it wouldn't life. fit your temperament then. Well, if you have like an anxious temperament, then it does. But so yeah. you need the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that sounds like it wouldn't. So fitting fitting your skill set is different than fitting your temperament. Like, I mean, so right. I'm yeah. a chameleon. I mean, when I was in school, I could paint like any of my teachers, no problem. Like, and to this day, I know I could mimic any artist. Um, I've watched uh, tutorials and just for, out of curiosity, seen if I could paint just like the artist, and it's indistinguishable. Um. Mm. But but it doesn't feel good when you right. when I when I paint like certain artists because it conflicts with my temperament. It's like ooh, like it's just not like it just doesn't it feel natural. Drives you crazy. So to yeah. me, it's it, again not again back to the authenticity thing. It's not about what you can do. It's about what you're comfortable and happy doing. Um, when you're being authentic, like this is where this is where I'm in my happy zone. So for mm -hmm. me, painting like Bouguereau would make me crazy, even though I drool over Bouguereau paintings. But if I tried yeah. to paint that smooth, I'd go nuts. Um, it would make me miserable. So speaking of misery, that was my, that leads to my other question. Um, does not having, does not knowing what the finished painting is gonna look like for weeks, months, I don't know how long some of these bigger paintings take, but I'm gonna assume they're not quick. Um, does that give you anxiety from day to day going home or going to the, to your, to your bed at night and not knowing where it's going to be or leaving it in a state of confusion or mystery, or are you co totally comfortable with, with that level of chaos? I, and I think I'm, I'm totally comfortable with it and I do balance it out with smaller pictures that are more obvious. Oh, about how they're going to go. Yeah. Is that necessary? And those are just, no, order. only, only for sales for, for production only for like, 
being able to uh, be like, this is what I'm going to teach in a four day class, you know. Um, but not for your being... mental health. You don't you don't need to balance it out for your mental health. Well, I, I think I do, because like I was saying, um, I mean, barring the fact I like win the lottery, I'm going to be worrying about reality and money and organizational things. So like it's important to have some kind of solid structure there. And and so the large paintings don't have any solid structure. Oh no no so, I, I'm so, ref yeah I'm referring yeah. to uh, to the chaos that you're dealing with when you're doing these. Uh, um, when I say mental health, I mean the 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 anxiety that you may feel by not knowing where it's going to land, where it's going to end up. Does do the little paintings no. provide you enough comfort, and is that comfort necessary? Is what I'm trying to say. Um. I think the little ones would drive me nuts after a while. Oh. They would be too repetitive and obvious. So you're totally um, comfortable in the chaos zone, like just not yeah. knowing. Wow. Yeah, but but in the real world, you need to sell right, small right. paintings that don't take forever and um, be able to say, like, I'm going to do this for a show or I'm going to do this as a commission or do this for a class or and, and be able to get it done at a deadline and, you know, do whatever you need with it, like film it and turn it into a video as a tutorial or a time lapse or, or you know, something, right? You need to yeah. be able to, at least I think so. I, it seems to be what people do. So, oh, it, yeah. It's so fun it to know how you think. Um, because yeah. obviously we've known each other for a few, at least a few years now, and it's nice to sit down and talk to you and know how you actually think about these things because I frankly do have a lot of anxiety working the way I do. But, and, and, it, and since it's cool to say you're anxious now, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll admit that I have anxiety about everything. So I don't think it's, it's because I'm painting in conflict to my temperament. I think it's just my nature, but, um, but it's interesting that that's your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think it would have been in the past. It, it's only because I'm more confident with my drawing and painting abilities. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, okay. Yeah, well, we're at, we're at about, we're at exactly 90 minutes now. So I wanted to just ask you one final question because I'd like to think that, um, people who are aspiring painters are going to be listening to this podcast. Um, if you had one or two pieces of advice that you could give mm -hmm. those aspiring painters, um, that we haven't already talked about, what would it be? Hmm. Probably be draw really well, like have good skills. Don't cut corners with that. And I don't know, save money, get good at saving money. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, oh, we had a... like, like be financially uh, literate, I suppose. You know, you're the second um, one to talk about that. Um, I mean, I'm just speaking as, as I was saying, as someone who finds the whole creative part more obvious, it, it, it just comes down to, um, I don't know, be in good shape and eat well. Like, like you want to make sure you're in the optimal condition to make your best work. So you're not worrying about eviction and health problems if you can help it. That, like those are just basics. Take care of the basics. Take care of the physical body so that you can make your art. You know, that, that seems to be like the best advice. Um, 
But you know, I, it's interesting because I, the majority of my students, or I don't, I wouldn't say like all of them, but like the majority of people I happen to come in contact with, um, they have the opposite problem. So they're trying to get the creativity out, but they've they've taken care of the physical stuff really well. Mm. So um, I, I wouldn't want to underwrite that half either. So I have some friends who are like, um, let's say they, they had children, they're, they've been full-time mothers and they're like, you know, okay, now I want to paint. And I've been just looking after my family for like the last 25 years. Um, they're totally not worrying about physical stuff. They're worrying about creativity. So I don't know like that. And I know that that's also something people like to hear about, but I'm more the opposite end. I'm more like overdosed in the creativity and need a little more physical solidity in the world. Well, you're in, you're in deep, like you're totally immersed in a career as an artist. And you're talking about a mother who's one of your students. And I think that maybe the difference is that um, one is coming from a place of trying to get where you're at and, and, then, and then you're coming from where you are, which is a professional artist in it a hundred percent. And I agree with you 100%. Like you got to take care of yourself or you can't manage the stress of a career. But you, so. you tell that to some people and they're like, I was a CEO and now like, this is my third retirement. Like I'm fine. You know? So it's like, they don't, they don't need to hear anything about that like so they're gonna so it depends who you're who's asking you i guess you yeah because yeah. um everyone's coming from a different background yeah well it's good advice nonetheless i mean we're all different so people will take it or leave it right but it's good advice yeah. good advice nonetheless so teresa how can people find you and follow your work i have a website www.teresawahaka.com and that's got finished works. I also have a podcast called House of Oaxaca. And I have a YouTube channel just under my name, Teresa Oaxaca, where I have some videos about my work. And I'm on social media like Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. So those are my platforms. Thanks so much for doing this, Teresa. Seriously, it was the coolest podcast. And oh, thank you. as you know, I'm a, I've always been a huge fan and a huge admirer of you as a person and of your work. So thanks for being with me on the podcast and, um, and, and thank you everyone for listening. Take care. Hey. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could leave a comment or review, that really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends, and if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.